Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, the ESPN Footy Podcast coming at you for another week. My name is Matt Walsh, joining me as always, Jake Michaels. Jake, been a busy weekend in terms of sport. Uh, how's your sleep pattern going? Uh, I'm struggling. I need, <laughs> I feel like I need a 48 hour sleep. There's Combination. so much on, like just, and everything's on. Love Australia, but it's a shocking place to live when it comes to watching international sport. <laughs> you never get any sleep. <laughs> the boomers are on as we speak. They're doing okay against Team USA. Yeah, they are. I was watching the first quarter of that. Um, but yeah, Euros and Wimbledon and everything on. So it was a very busy week, um, yeah. weekend of sport. And then, um, as we said last week, trying to squeeze nine games in there as well. So it was kind of good that we had a Monday, a Monday nighter and a Thursday nighter to, to spread it out a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Christian Jolly from Champion Data, you had an eventful weekend, but it wasn't necessarily watching sport. Your young fella copped a, an injury. Yeah, uh, little son Riley um, had a fall at the park on last Thursday and broke his arm. So it's uh, been a bit of whirlwind weekend, but now happily he had a TV in his uh, hotel room. Oh, yeah, yeah. His hotel room in his hospital <laughs> in room. His hospital so room. snuck in a bit of footy. So I didn't didn't really I <laughs> didn't really life, miss too it? much footy because yeah, it was uh, over to catch it all. Yeah, sitting on the couch with him Saturday, looking after him, watching. Is he a blue fan as well? Little scores. He tries to be, but he kept asking me why they keep kicking little scores instead of big scores. Oh, and I said, I don't know. So don't worry, I was asking try, that I'm too. trying to keep him on that track, but yeah, it's, it's quite hard. Uh, the writing was on the wall early in that one, wasn't it? Um, you can't miss opportunities like that and kick, what was it? one two fourteen or one fourteen at one point? Just yeah. one of the bizarre things. And we might actually look at scoring in future weeks because we've got some, uh, some interesting stats starting to form themselves about scoring and, and how it's down and all that sort of stuff. However, We've got plenty to talk about this week. And before we do jump into another big episode, something quirky-ish from the weekend that might have grabbed your attention, Jake? Well, something I noticed was in uh, Monday night's game, and it's almost a question for Christian. Um, I noticed, so North kicked a behind, or it was rushed at one point, uh, North Melbourne got a behind, and Josh Rotham picked the ball up to take the kick out in the square, but then decided, oh, no, I'll give it to... I think it was Jeremy McGovern who came in to take the kick. But instead of throwing it to him, he just handballed it to him in the square and then McGovern took it. And I wondered, is that a handball? Has he technically taken it? Has he again, taken the kick out or handball out? Uh, again, probably like most scenarios, no, he wouldn't have. But it, And again, the only reason we'd give it a handball is if the umpire's called play on. Yeah. So if the umpire hasn't called play on and, sort mm. of, yeah, and you can see time on come on again. Um, there is the umpire no handball, play on in that situation? If he's in yeah. the square and he's... Well, yeah, I don't remember the exact situation, but we would have. We would have looked at, is the clock ticking when he handballed it? When McGovern yeah. did it, is the clock stopped? And there is no disposal. Um, but again, yeah, that would have been sort of dependent on the umpire's whistle. This is similar. It happens uh, every now and then when a player gets a 50-metre penalty. They'll be running along, but they'll just be bouncing it absentmindedly. And yeah, I wonder, no, like, does yeah. an umpire see that and go, oh, hold on, are you playing on or are you not? Because it's kind of a bit convoluted, but that's something I've noticed it, a few it, times. I well. reckon it did happen... Um, four or five years ago, I reckon players have stopped doing it as often yeah. now because I reckon, I reckon it did sure happen to a player. That. Yeah. And I reckon an umpire called play on for him and it sort of caught him by surprise. I haven't seen a player do it since. <laughs> there you go. Um, while we're with you, something from the weekend that you noticed? Um, yeah. Again, a little bit of a shout out, but from the weekend as well, but um, turning our attention to VFLW. I know we don't often often go there, but um, shout out to an ex-champion data employee, Chloe McMillan, who's coach of Collingwood's VFLW side. Um, she took over at the start of last year and obviously COVID wiped out the season. Um, she's finished the season undefeated, 14-0, and zero, um, gone through the finals undefeated as well. 
um, and set themselves up for a grand final berth, which I think is a couple of weeks away. Um, I think the prelims being played this weekend. So she sort of, uh, yeah, she was a champion data employee for six years or so before she uh, left to take on an assistant coaching role with the AFLW side with Collingwood and uh, the head coach at VFLW. Um, and she was taking over, a, they, Collingwood actually won the premiership in 2019. So I do remember saying when she left, Ooh, the only way to go is down, but she's uh, <laughs> proven me wrong and How good. Um, yeah, undefeated this season. So shout out to Do we know where Hill. the grand final is going to be? Uh, they believe it's going to be at Tiak Oval in uh, yeah fortnight time. So right, very good. Oh, all the best. Love oh. a shout out on the podcast. A uh, couple of things. You spoke of Euros earlier, Jake. Um, I was really surprised watching the Euros. I didn't. I can't say I watched every one of Italy's matches, but I absolutely watched the final. Uh, and I noticed just a, a familiar face, you could say, uh, playing it right back for Italy. Giovanni Di Lorenzo, everybody. And if you if you don't know what Giovanni looks like, you've got to Google him. Because and if you're driving, don't pull if you've over. Got if you're driving, <laughs> if you're on the train though, go for it. Um, but he is a dead ringer for Tom Liberatore from the Dogs. Yeah, I'm Isn't always he? a bit skeptical about lookalikes because they never seem to look like the person that they're supposed to look like. But this one is a dead ringer. It's ridiculous. It's great. It's just missing the Simpsons <laughs> tattoos, and and you're about there. It's yeah, crazy. He's just, he's just missing the Simpsons tattoos. That's all. Yeah. Um, you have a couple of lookalike theories too, as well. Oh, I have players that, that the teammates on teams that I kind of get confused sometimes, not so much on TV because it's very easy to see, but when you're at the ground a bit, when you can be a little bit further away or have a, a harder angle, the one we've, we were speaking about before was Tom Mitchell and James Warple. Both have that same sort of size and stance, both around the ball. The three and the five, their numbers can kind of look a little bit similar. Um, the other one I always they, I always seem to get confused is um, Jack McRae and Bailey Dale. Again, they're both uh-huh. 31 and 11. Just they have that same sort of running style with that little bit of that hunched over run. Yeah, And I always get those two confused as well at times. You, you must think that like if your teammates, you probably go to like the same barbers or something after after training and, and yeah. Warple and Mitchell sit in the chairs and they just go, oh, well, whatever's he having? Well, another theory I have is if <laughs> Bailey Dale has a good game and McRae has a good game, then that almost the umpires probably, if I'm getting confused, the umpires are probably getting confused too. <laughs> Jack McRae, extra couple of votes. Zach Merritt and Will Snelling, another two that kind of can look similar on the field as well. Okay, yeah. You know? So if Will Snelling plays well, look for Zach Merritt to get the three Brown votes. <laughs> if you've got any other lookalikes, please hit us up on Twitter at Footy Tips because we do like this sort of sort of stuff. Um, it's not so much <laughs> their faces that look the same. It's more from distance, the way yeah, they yeah, run yeah. and yep. their size and shape. Yeah. If you're standing next to them, you obviously know the difference. But yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, another one, really quickly, something I noticed: um, Ballarat, GWS, and Gold Coast um, thriller down or up in the up in Ballarat was very interesting because I noticed at one point Sam Taylor was going to get a ball that had gone through for a behind, and he was obviously going to kick it out, or I think it might have even gone on the full. Um, anyway, the ball, and he had to go to sort of like towards right near the the fence there, and there's some net- netting that goes behind the goals when they're doing the warm ups. You know, the mm. netting that gets it was still on the ground. And he got caught in it and almost fell. And I saw that and I thought that's just an ACL or an ankle break or, or some serious injury waiting to happen. And Could you imagine that's not, that was not supposed to be there. Was it? Well, it shouldn't be there. We don't, they don't leave them there at the MCG or any other ground. Tuck them so, away. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Maybe they had nowhere to put them. <laughs> Bit of oversight, maybe just a, yeah. a last minute or not last minute, but you know, it was like the 
the ground was only decided a few days before that it would actually host. So, Thought um, out, Gil. yeah, get, come on, Gil. <laughs> um, not that you've got enough on your plate, but fair enough. Uh, all right, let's get into the agenda for the day. Uh, Christian, we tasked you this week, we talked about it last week, um, about taking a look at this year's most improved players. Uh, and we sort of came up with a little uh, formula to work this out. Uh, and it can probably use a bit of tweaking going forward. But you've looked at the career average ranking points versus the average ranking points of these same players in 2021 to see who the AFL's biggest improvers are. If I've said that right, great. If not, please correct me. But uh, where do we want to start with this? Do we want to look at the most improved or do we want to count down from 10 to one? Take us through it. Um, well, yeah, you're correct in what I was in, yeah, how I've sort of worked it out. So it's yeah, Lovely. career average, um, yeah, pre 2021. So obviously looking at, when you started to 2020, how many ranking points you averaged um, per game across your career, and then just looking at straight 2021 average and working out the difference. Um, so again, before I sort of ran the query, I thought, geez, you're probably going to get a few names. Um, you know, what is most improved? Is there a, is there a baseline you have to come from to be most improved? Can you be most most improved um, off? Again, all of these guys are not a hard question you know, to answer. First yeah. Games. yeah. So can you can you be most improved if you only played one game previously? That's a momentum career? question. And you've come in and played 15 uh, this year, but sort of around the query and it's thrown up all, all kinds of names. So, um, yeah, we can start with, well, I don't know if you want to start with the bottom, but as I said, the, I've looked at the matches that the guys had played of the top 10 leading into this season. So the most improved player by ranking points this year had played 41 games coming into the season. So that's, you know, probably a good third year player now. Yeah. So probably fits into my category of most improved. Second on the list is 93. So that, that could even, you know, he's, he's second by points value, but he could actually jump in my mind a little bit if you were trying to work out a most improved award because he's actually had, you know, more more across his career where he's actually stepped up finally this year. I would um, think that off the, just thinking off the top of my head, I would think you'd need to have played at least 30 games to be in the running for this most improved. I think, as you say, if you've only played six games and then come in the following year and you're getting more game time, you know, then you're going to be, your numbers are going to reflect that. See, this is interesting because I, I think if you play 10, years, 10 games in your first year and you're not there and you're getting dropped back to the VFL or the, the waffle or whatever, and then you're coming back and then you're going back again, you play 10 games and then the next year you come out and go bang, bang, bang. I'm kind of inclined to think that most improved is from that part as well. Yeah. See, and then again, I'll throw another angle in there. I don't, Again, looking at, it, I don't know if the most improved can be your second season because isn't that sort of natural progression? And if this was going to well, yeah. be, you know, we're, we're trying to sort of, we've been big on the pod before, this should be a, an actual award in the AFL and probably awarded, you know, through the MVP night and things like that where they do all the other awards. But yeah, you know, is it is it going to be if in 10 years' time if this was an award, every single player is just in their second year because it's just mm. guys that are exactly that. So Gray again, yeah, we, we'll go through the names and we'll sort of see um, how they stack up. So We'll actually start from we'll start from eleventh. We never start from eleventh, but again, let's let's go, let's go <laughs> let's go with the shout outs. Uh, one of our own, Josh Dunkley, uh, is actually yeah in his um, average coming into the season for ranking points was ninety five, which is the highest of anyone on this list. So he'd already had a, a great career coming into it. Um, through his first six games, uh, he got had an average ranking points of one hundred and twenty eight. Mm. Um, through this season. So again, he hasn't played the full season. So that might, you know, mm. if we're handing out the award at the end of the year, that might hurt against him. Um, but again, yeah, he's increased by 30, 33 ranking points per game. Um, so yeah, he sits 11th on the list. 10th on the list, again, is probably the, the guy with the most games um, of the top 10, 135 games coming into the season, increased his average ranking points by 33.4 per game. And that's Jared Lyons at Brisbane. 
So again, he might have won it two years ago when he first mm. joined Brisbane because he was he's the most improved player, and he's coming off a, a ranking you know a ranking average of eighty five. Stepped up to 118 this year, which is putting him in the top 20 of the competition. So, again, so 85 is his career average, not last year's average. Sorry, career average, yeah, yeah. coming into the year. And, uh, yeah, 118 this year, as I said. So, he's, he's stepped up into the top 20 or 30 players just based on average this year. Um, and, again, that throws other things. Is that too high to be the most improved player? Are you, are you just now a star rather than, you know, yeah. <laughs> is a most improved player going to be sort of more solid and dour or something? Again, that's just something we could discuss. Uh, ninth on the list, we've spoken about this guy earlier, uh, probably a bit lower than I thought he would be, Ben Keys. So 46 mm. games he'd played coming into the season uh, for an average ranking points of 67 per game, up to 100 this year, uh, which is an almost an increase of 34. Um, and then the next guy on the list is one of those ones you throw up, Cody Waitman. He'd only played three games coming into the season. Um, 35 ranking points across yeah, those see, games. Now see, averaging as good 69 as been, in his eight. As good as he's been, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be saying he's the most improved player. I think there's not enough of a sample size there to see yeah. how the improvement is. That's because fair. We saw and he's him, been great, but I think you're right. The yeah, sample yeah. size needs to be larger. Yeah. yeah. And then a similar player just above him uh, is Chad Warner, who had only played two games for Sydney coming into the season. Um, played 12 this year. Increased his ranking points from. 33 and a half to 69 almost. Um, so almost up by about 35 per game. Um, so again, yeah, those two are probably, you're right, probably early stage of their career where it's just more natural progression and just getting more game time mm. and uh, looks at it. The next one on the list, again, is probably one that definitely be most improved, but could he take out the award if we theoretically had one? 21 games he'd played coming into the season uh, for an average of 59 ranking points per game, up to 94.8 this year. So again, up into sort of, top echelon nick hind so again he's yeah. prime he's done candidate it. isn't he yeah but he's done it with a change of clubs and yeah, can the most improved position. player come because it's just yeah opportunity club well, different so philosophy he, yeah he yeah. can be thrown up as the you know the best recruit of the year um can you also be the most improved player because uh, he probably would have if you said i he probably would have thought oh, well i could have done this i could have done this at the saints last year yeah, yeah, if I was played in the position I want yeah. or if I was given the opportunity. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then fifth on the list is probably one of the um, one of the guys that's just yeah done it in the same position. So probably not a big name out there people wouldn't think of first, but Isaac Cumming for GWS has played the same mm-hmm. role for probably I think he's been there for three or four years now. Yeah. Um, halfback sort of distributor, does get sort of a tight job each week. Uh, 56 ranking points per game coming into the season from his 10 matches pre-2021, uh, 16 games this year and, um, you know, an average of 92 ranking points was an increase of 36. So, again, the 10 games is probably fewer than I thought he played. I think he's been there for two years, not three. But, yeah, sort of, again, playing in the same spot and just naturally improving yeah. rather mm-hmm. than getting a spot in the midfield and just getting bigger numbers. Yeah. This is, what, this list... is what I meant, was talking about when we, before when I was like, well, you can still play a handful of games, but if you, you know, can't quite crack the seniors enough, but now you're consistently playing getting ample opportunity. I mean, maybe that is a, a criteria that you sort of look at as well, because I think that he is a nomination for sure. Yeah. Uh, fourth on the list. Um, we've spoken about every week, and I think we're going to speak about again later in the podcast. Took Miller. Um, <laughs> again, just he's, he was already averaging 84 ranking points from his 117 career games coming into the season. Has just stepped up to the 122 ranking points per game, increase of 38. So mm. it's gone from being a above average, you know, solid midfielder to a star this year. Um, I, think for, I think what I've noticed about Miller is 
this consistency this year. I think we, we, he's always had really good games, but he's doing it every single week now. He's pretty much Gold Coast best player every single week. Um, kicking goals, tackling, winning the ball. Ru- he runs as hard as any player, both towards goal and towards his defensive goal. He's been phenomenal. And yeah, as you said, we will talk about him a little bit later. But yeah, I um, I was surprised he might wasn't actually a little bit higher on this list. Yeah, so fourth, so third uh, is Bailey Dale. So again, someone that's moved position. Uh, so he'd played 59 games coming into the season, a little bit of wing, a little bit of forward pocket. Um, had been, was it last year or two years ago? I think he was almost Bulldogs leading goal kicker for a period of the season. So he's, he has been a important player for the Bulldogs in the past. Uh, but this year, yeah, playing across halfback, 94 and a half ranking points per game, an increase of 38 from his career average, which puts mm. him third on the most improved. And then the top two, um, second place. I don't know if you have any guesses. They're probably getting Ooh. a little bit obvious now. For well, we oh, I don't, don't say that because we'll get them right. Be might be there, but who was that? Sorry, Tom Hickey. No, he's not actually up there. So he's about eighteenth, nineteenth. So just okay. misses out. Um, um, this is one, this one is a ruckman. Radio. Oh, Sean Darcy. <laughs> Sean Darcy is Sean one Darcy, of them. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, one. And, and then he's he's the second. He is number one. He's number so, one. Yeah, oh, we've ruined it. <laughs> Very right, good. Though. Yeah, we'll, that makes we'll, sense. We'll, we'll go to Sean Darcy. So again, talking about well, actually, we'll go second. So Bailey Dale, we talked about changing position, um, and second on the list, Darcy Parish. Again, probably a pretty no, obvious yeah. one now that yeah, I've mentioned right. his name. Yeah. Um, you come in with ninety-three games under his belt into coming into the season, seventy-nine or seventy-nine point nine ranking points per game. So it's almost on eighty, up to one hundred and twenty-one per game this year, an increase of forty-one. Uh, and then, yeah, as I said, number one is Sean Darcy, who's increased his ranking points by 42 per game um, and had played 41 games coming into the season. So just between those three names, Sean Darcy, Darcy Parrish and Bailey Dale, I think they could all, you know, theoretically, as, again, if, if there was a most improved award mm-hmm. out there, would all be up there. But, you know, does Darcy sort of... Who, yeah, Darcy, Darcy doing gets it in the, the same he's role. playing the same position. Yeah, yeah and he's agree. actually improving within his own position, whereas yeah. the other two are yeah. just getting... I think it's more the clubs are just getting Who better use out of these two players. Fourth was Took Miller. So again, okay, yeah, so he's already, in the already same come position from too. A, yeah. No, I, I think this was, is not, fifth was, sorry, fifth um, was Isaac coming. Um, okay. Again, similar mm, position, yeah. and and then Nick Hind was sixth. Yeah. A change of club. So there's there's different reasons you it's can improve. It's a real improve. mix of people, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But again, it, it just throws up and. I've, um, you know, I'll put the challenge to you guys. I think ESPN should have their um, most improved player award because I think it really, really, yeah, should be so, sort of defined of what, what is the most improved player? Who do we want to re- reward it to? And what type of player mm. do you want to reward it to? Again, is it is it changing position, changing opportunity? or just someone that's finally put together what they were. Yeah, I think it's that second. I think it's the latter. I think it's the those who are in the same position. Um, changing clubs, maybe, as long as you're in the same position. Um but yeah, I think, I, I put, think if I you're, think if you're getting put... organic growth in, in doing the same thing, I think that's more impressive than, yeah. you know, moving to half back where arguably you're going to get a bit more of a footy than if you're a forward pocket, you know, yeah. in, the, in the case of someone like Bailey Dale. Absolutely. I player. think, you know, you put, you could grab any player in the league and, and put them, just give them more midfield time and they, they're going to have more of the ball. They're going to be around yeah. it more. They're going to tackle more. They're going to be involved yeah. in the game more. And as a result, their numbers are probably going to go up. And, and, and passing the eye test on its own, I think it's yeah. pretty clear that Sean Darcy is probably the most improved player this season. Yeah. We spoke about him last week, I think, or the week four. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, just how he is really starting to 
dominate games now. He was always a big guy that just sort of lumbered around slowly, but he's actually his ability to actually influence the game now, get around the ground, still for his size. I think he's he he I always felt early in his career he didn't have the the engine. He was just constantly out of out of gas, but now he actually looks like a football player. Yep. Um and his last two weeks have been incredible. And yeah, and, and it's sort of as we touched on last week, what he's doing is most ruckmen do it at about 28, 29. He's put it all together at 23, 24. So he's got mm. a he's got a very, very bright future because he's he's sort of Brody Grundy's probably the only one that's put it together as early as him. Max Gorn had a lot of knee injuries. Nat Nui. Um Nat Nui probably, sorry, was probably another one. Um, but even he sort of took probably about a year and a half to really get that consistency up. I throw this um, question out yeah. to you guys. Does does he is he in the squad the the squad for the All Australian team right mm. now? See, we discussed this yesterday, Jake, between us that Max Gorn might be getting by on the fact that his team's playing well. Um, Grundy had a great game on the weekend, but is, he's been in and in and out of games and has sort yeah. of dropped in and out. Um, Nick, I Nats, think you can really one. make a case that Darcy's been the second best, if not the best, ruckman all year. I mean, Gorn will get the the edge, but. I mean, again, it goes back to the fact that people probably don't watch much of Frio. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> the last couple of weeks have been fantastic. And if he continues that way throughout for the rest of the season, mm. gee, he, he might well find himself in the All-Australian team. Well, I like the challenge. Well, um, Jake and I and, uh, and Jared and uh, others at ESPN might have to put our heads together and come up with a, an ESPN champion data most improved and, and see what we can do with that. Absolutely. We, we will be doing that. We'll try and find the parameters and um, yeah, we'll be awarding, we'll be awarding the inaugural most improved player later in the year. Very good. Uh, moving on. Um, it's fair to say that the bandwagon, the Swannies bandwagon is pretty heavy. I think uh, if you look at one of those trains in India that go between <laughs> cities and you got blokes hanging off them on, on, the, on the roof and hanging out the windows, I think everyone's jumped on the Swannies because it looks like they're a real threat, a real flag threat. Um, so the are question: you on I, it? Are you on I, that train? I am really loving what I'm seeing. You're just uh, running behind at the moment. You don't well, want to get on, but you don't want to be too far. Yeah, away I, I don't want to be hanging out the window. That's the problem. Rowan's <laughs> already bump... hanging out the window. <laughs> <laughs> he was no, he's in the driver's seat. He was yeah, on it from uh, the preseason. Oh, Rowan Connolly, when we had him on the pod earlier in the year. Um, so the, I guess the question I want to pose to you guys is: Are they a real threat, or are they just sort of riding a wave of? momentum and, and good fortune and 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 playing where I guess they're supposed to be playing in terms well of I'll let Christian answer from a from a numbers point of view but I'll answer from a what my eye tells me and I think it's hard we went back to Richmond we we're talking about Richmond a few weeks ago before the before the real uh, drop-off and my thing was yeah, we know they're good. We know they can win. We know they're going to be dangerous, but can they win it from outside the top four? No, I don't think they can. Not because, not for any other reason other than the fact that it's bloody hard to do. Same thing with Sydney. As good as they are, I still think for them to be a genuine chance, they need to finish top four. You look at the ladder and you think they might, they can. They, they actually can. They're, they're in that hunt to finish in the four, whether they do or not. We don't know. And they probably say right now they still won't, but they certainly can. And if they continue to play the way they are, they're going to start favorite in a lot of games. And they've got a lot of match winners out there. Buddy didn't have a great game on the weekend. And they still managed to get to get the points over the flag favorites. So 
Really good midfield, a lot of developing young guys. I just, I just wonder if we, they rely on the younger players a little bit too much. But then you go back and look at the Bulldogs of 2016. Mm. We all thought they were relying on their younger players too much, and look what that happened there. So I, I, I would say behind the three, the, the big three of, of Melbourne, the Western Bulldogs, and Geelong, I think they're they're not they're probably not far behind Brisbane as my the fifth team that's probably likely to win it. Christian, um, statistically, is their brand of football what we discussed in previous weeks and months as a premiership brand? Yeah, well, they've got signs of it. So again, we use what we call like a premiership standard. So that's basically looking at a whole heap of stats um, and the premiers across the last ten years and where they've ranked. So. The only sort of stat that sort of, you know, major stat that all premiers have ranked in the top six across the last 10 years have been points against. Um, and Sydney fall just into that. They're sixth for points against. Um, and another big one is, as we sort of thought about, is the, the points against from turnovers or the scoring from turnovers um, is always nine of the top 10 premiers have ranked in the top six for that stat. Uh, Sydney a third for points differential from turnovers and have been doing that since round one. So, I remember I made the comment probably, yeah, early in the season that there was a little bit of Bulldogs about them. It wasn't anything to do with game style. It was more about exactly where they are. They've, they've figured yeah. out a way to play that that does match it with the best. And they've just got to go about and just, you know, improve on that each week. And that's what they've been doing. They, they did hit a bit of a flat spot. Um, you know, when you talk about individuals, I think guys like Sam Wicks, I know Errol Goulden had a bit of an injury. Braden Campbell's been injured. So the, the, the youngsters that were sort of carrying the flag um, – you know, might have dropped off slightly, but then you've other other guys that stepped up in more recent weeks um, and run away with it. So they've got the game style there in terms of their attacking, um, sixth for points against, and they're not getting hurt with this attacking game style. And they're able to beat you on the turnover, which is a big part of the game. So there's a lot of ticks there. And again, looking at them versus the top eight. So you you talk about a top eight ladder where you just take all the teams against the top Mm. eight this year. They're third on that ladder. Is this the David King ladder? That he was trying to do that other yeah, way. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah, I think his was slightly different. I think he tried to put a bit of a different spin and confused himself with that one. But uh, four, four and three against the top eight sides this year, which yeah, sort of the third best record of any team. But again, talking about points from turnovers, top plus eighty eight points from turnovers against top eight sides in those seven games. Only Melbourne has beaten top eight sides more from turnover um, when they've played them. Um, Sydney again, they're very tight. They've only lost the disposal or uncontested possession count once to a top eight side, and that was Geelong, who had about 80 more disposals than them. Um, every other game, they've either you know had more of the ball or broken even with top eight sides. Hardest for a top eight side to score against once inside 50. Um, second, you know, second lowest disposal efficiency. They concede the fewest uncontested possessions to top eight sides, so their game has really matched it against the best. Um, so, yeah, I guess looking at all that, I've got to say that they are a chance. They're, they're a genuine chance to, you know, uh, yeah, again, they, they're going to take it by surprise, but they've got the game style that they're, I sort of look at it, they've got nothing to lose. They're, they've mm, got yeah. a good game yeah. style. They're, they weren't expected to be too high this year, unless you were Rowan Connolly, as we said, but they wouldn't have been feeling any pressure. And it's just like here, we're, you know, we'll, we know the game style. We think we're going to get maybe you know, seven to eight wins with this game. So let's, let's do it. And they're actually going to get to, you know, close to a top four finish with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just got to keep going with it in finals and hopefully they don't sort of tighten up. Here's the the curveball in all this is they're not going to be playing at the SCG for the rest of the year, even if no, they host not. finals. This is this is going to be, if if they do it, and this is a dimmer term, if, if they could win the flag this, this season, I think it would be the most hard fought and most impressive flag win I've, I can remember. I- 
I'm, yeah, I can't take anything away from living away from home, living in a hub and things like that. But I will throw up the cheeky one that they might actually travel less now. They might not have to try if they've got to yeah, play three away games and play it? Geelong and Melbourne. Well, yeah. you're already across the road from and they got where you're great support here in, in Melbourne, so, in Victoria. Yeah, so maybe, yeah, maybe it could it could work in their favour in terms of oh, okay, we've got to play two games in Melbourne, but we're already got a hub in Melbourne, so they become home games. But yeah, again, you, you can't put past the the rest of the psychological, you know, how, how yeah. exhausting it must be to be Partners, away from family kids, and things yeah. like that. So, well, they've been pretty good on the road the last, the last two weeks. I mean, huge win over West coast and then go and mm. beat the Bulldogs. So at, mm. at, um, at Marvel. So it's not as if they're a side that really does struggle away from the SCG. Sure. Yep. I'm, I'm sure they'd prefer to be playing there, but. And you get the feeling in finals too, they'll be a well-supported team by neutrals, kind of like the Bulldogs were in 2016. Yeah, they will be. Well, as you say, they're they're obviously they have a lot of support in Melbourne. Yeah, interesting, interesting times, I guess, to watch the Swannies and, and how they go in the next few weeks. Because just, as you say, Jake, they're in the hunt for the four. Uh, they're yeah. not out of out of the race for the four by any means, and, and that would be a massive boost if they were to uh, to to do that. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. From a team going really well to a team not doing well, uh, Richmond are at a pretty interesting time in their successful era, I would say, Jake, because where are they going to go from here? They might not even make finals, and if they do, I think they're just making up the numbers at this point. You're pretty big on them being a a big flag threat in 2022, so next season, uh, without too much change to the list and the playing style. Why, why do you think that? I guess I'm going to put it back on you and say, why don't you think that? I mean, the list is not that much different to what it's been like over the last five years. Yeah, that's why. Every- I think that's why. The list is not different for the last five years. When but Cochin it's been was the 27. Best list the when, last five years. So how when Dustin Martin was 26, when um, key, key defenders were, were sort of 27 in their prime. You, you look at yeah. the list now, and that same list is getting a bit older, Jake. They're getting a bit older, but they're not, I wouldn't say they're old. Okay. It's not I like will... they're all 34. They're, there's, they've got, okay, a couple of their players are 30, 31. Yeah, I, yeah. I understand that. But they've also got some younger players. I don't think it's time to worry with Richmond. They've, they've had a, look, they've had a pretty average year. Let's be honest. They've had pretty average years right throughout their, their um, dominant period. And they've just managed to get everything clicking in the second half and through mm. to finals pretty much every year. Their best year, as we always say, was 2018 when they fell short in the prelim. Yeah. So, but, but this doesn't, this, what the, the Richmond that we've seen the last month has not been that, that sort of Richmond that is going to come good in finals. No, it's not. And I, and I said a couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm, I'm Richmond can't win it. And, and going, what I said before about Sydney, yeah, they weren't going to make in the four, they weren't going to win it. And Richmond aren't going to win it this year, even if they managed to finish eighth or seventh or whatever. But I think you'd be crazy to go into following season with the same list with all the players back healthy. Cause think about it. They have missed a lot of players, their defense and midfield's been, so, so just the on year. the just on the players miss. So we we talk about Richmond and what they did better than anyone else. They they did a lot of facets of the game really really well. The tsunami surge handball, the forward, the the gaining territory, 400, 500 meters per game from handball, number one all this time. Last four or five weeks, they're fifth in this stat. They haven't reached 300 meters gained handballs. They they usually average 450. Um, previously, haven't reached 300. But if you look at from 2017, including this year, the guys, their top seven guys for metres gained from handball, 
Number one, Shane Edwards out of the side. 32 in nine months. Yeah. Yep. Uh, two, Cochin. Three, Kane Lambert, a very underrated player for Richmond. I think Kane Lambert. Four, Dustin Martin. Five, Prestia. Six, Hooley. Seven, Vloston. So five of those seven players are out of the side at the moment. We'll come back next year. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sort of, I've got a foot in both camps with you guys. I think they are getting to, you know, the wrong side of 30. But I'm with Jake. They, they've all still got another year at least. I think, you know, Easily all seven of those year. come back. Yes, but, but um, other teams are getting better. And other teams are get, have got kids that are, well, kids, have got players that are 24 and 25 who are going to be 26 and 27. But what do you do? You get rid of you get rid of a, a Prestia or a Lambert or one of these guys that is a is a top liner and that's been a good player well, for your side. For th- a- this is the question. I'm, I'm, it's, it's not one that we can answer, but it's one that you can have an opinion on. But the crossroads coming up, the crossroads are, hell, go again for 2022 and see if you can do it, but risk a drop-off that will be pretty quick when it comes. Because you look at the, the oldest players on this list in order, Hooley, Edwards, Revolt, Cochin, Asprey, Martin, Grimes, Lambert, Pickett. They'll all be 30 at the start of next season. They mm-hmm. are maybe eight of your best 10 players. Yeah, they probably are. Yeah. But so why, you're, you're risking get rid all of, of these older then, players. If you, if you get rid of a couple of them to, to try and bring in youngsters, you're pretty much saying we're not going to, we're not, Having and, a go at next year's flag. And how many Richmond fans would be overly upset about that, given the success they've had and I think the fact they that they can set themselves up for paper, another you'd look at. I think on paper, you look at Richmond and say, yeah, they, they've got enough players and enough talent to give it a serious crack but, again but next if, year. But if you have a crack at the draft now, you can still you can still make the most of Tom Lynch, um, Broad, Short, Rioli, Baker, Graham, Bolton, these sorts of younger players without sort of, you know, and, and, and I don't, it, it's a tough question. It is a tough question because you're right. I think, there are players I think that are coming back. Kill, would kill to be in the position that Richmond's in right now with the amount of talent mm. they've got all in that same age bracket. Why blow it up when it, when it's still, we know it's still working, you know, think back 12 months ago, not even 12 months ago when Richmond beat Geelong in Brisbane in last year's grand final, the very thought of saying, okay, now we should break this team up. That's crazy. All that's happened in the last nine months is they've had injuries and they've lost games. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They get players back. They win games again. And who's to say they won't win the flag next year? Certainly not I me. I think it's the, the, the types of losses also that they've had. Yeah. It's been unrichmond like football, everyone keeps saying, but it's also an unrichmond like side because there's a lot of players that are playing that we aren't used to seeing in Richmond's colors. Yeah. But for a team that's so focused on process, and um, the way that they play and just sort of a plug and play kind of yeah. capability. But no one's a plug and play. Everyone wants to be, but you can't take, you can't take Hooley and, and Lambert and Prestia and Edwards all out of the side and expect four young guys that have played eight games to come in and do the same thing. Like it's, it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. But you need to get also, you need to get games into these players that are at the younger age bracket. You do, um, but you could say the same thing about Geelong. You'd say, oh, you say about, about West Coast. You'd say it about all the Well, teams we talked about West Coast and we yeah. predicted pretty similar. Well, we predicted a drop-off in the next year or two because we looked at like nine of their best 13 players were 30 or over. And and Richmond's heading towards that same same. Richmond same is heading point. towards that, but I still think Richmond is a more likely premiership team right now. Well, well, not for this year, but for 
you know, going into next year, they're more likely to win it with the with the older players they've got than oh, of a West Coast. I think that's very true, but it's it's kind of a, a, I don't think they're going to be a flag threat next season because I think that other teams are getting better. I think you're other crazy younger to say teams that are hungrier. Flag threat. You you yeah. don't think that you wouldn't don't think that a healthy Richmond. You don't. But think they're, they're a flag, flag threat, threat, but they're, they're down the order. They're down the pecking order. Where? Well, I don't know because we need to see what happens in the offseason. No, nah, where? Where are they? If you at, think at the moment the for next season, they're about where they are on the ladder, seventh, eighth. They're twelfth on the ladder. Okay, then then maybe a bit seventh, eighth, but that's not going to win you a flag. It's one on one flag in the AFL. You're crazy. There's okay. no way they're the seventh or eighth best team when healthy. There's no way. Okay. They're a top four team. Yeah, they they look. They probably are at this point, but again, things are going to like it's we're we're trying to project 12, 13 months into the future about what what's happening and. Um, all right, well, Footy, let, me throw, let me throw this up. If they were to go down the path of saying, all right, we're a bit older, we need to get some younger guys into this into this team and yeah. regenerate as such, who are the 29 pluses that you're looking at moving on to get some younger guys in for them? Who are the, who are the players you're looking at that you reckon could be value elsewhere mm-hmm. that they could move on from and still be able to, to have a flag assault next year? I think there are teams that would take Josh Caddy, Kane Lambert. Mm, My Theon thing is, Prestia. how much are you getting for a Josh Caddy Correct. or a Kane uh, that, Lambert? Is it that, worth getting rid of them to basically, you get rid of a Kane Lambert or a Camden McIntosh to then be like, okay, we're now, we're basically saying we're not going to be fighting for the flag next year we're going to get we're getting rid of some of our senior players to get in youth so yeah. we're good in three years well, and this is the tightrope so this is the tightrope the team needs to walk because yeah. they're they're coming to a point where some decisions are going to have to be made either way as, as to whether they continue the assault whether they go a half-baked regeneration as, as you've said or the, if they just say all right let's invest in the draft now and still have shea bolton and these guys you know in their peak by the time that they're developed and we can have another tilt and have, you know, the, the Hooley, Cochin, Martins of the, of the world, that age group, that's your Bolton and, and um, Lynch and these sort of guys. So look, it's a tightrope. There's, there's, there's a lot to consider. It is, yeah. And it's an interesting time in their successful era, as, as I think I said off the top. So there's no right or wrong answer at this point, because while, you know, yeah. things develop and, and it's up to, to the Tigers themselves, but it's just Te- fascinating. Teams could spend a decade trying to get the amount of talent Richmond has on its list right now. And I 100%. think they'd be crazy to just move it on to yep. then roll the dice on younger players. Well, then you roll the dice again next year. And, but, and again, I'm sure fans would be, be fine, you know, given the success they've had, but it could end up being like a Hawthorne. You drop right down the bottom or, or, you know, but that's the nature yeah, of I think how this sport is. This Sorry, totally Christian, killed. you are there. <laughs> now, I was going to say that's that's probably what's going to again. I'm, I'm almost agreeing with both of you. A lot of a lot of good points you're both making, but I think that's that's the crux of it is if they don't make finals next year, that's when you've got to sit down and really start to look at it and look where you're going. But I'm I'm still with Jake. This off season, no need to panic. Maybe yeah. And again, the way trade period works and the way management works, you know, you might say to Camden McIntosh or you know any of those names, like Castagna or Kane Lambert, look, go out and see. What you know, if there's another club that you might want to go to, have some you know behind the scenes discussions of what you might get for him. No, that's not enough. We'll keep him. But you, you, I'm sure every team's always exploring opportunities without actually putting Camden McIntosh on the platter saying we're getting rid of him here. Take him, someone take him. It's it's those quiet discussions they have. But yeah, I think and yeah, missing finals two years in a row. That's when you've really got to probably sit down and think about yeah, blowing up that top sort of. You know, especially if your top 10 are still over yeah. 30. Four, 13, um, 14 of their best 18 have missed at least a month of footy this year. Mm. Yeah. But eight of their best 10 are also quite old and getting older. So, look, 
you know, we could debate this all day because we probably could. Uh, any final thoughts, Jake? Um, you got money on the Tigers next year for the flag then? No, I don't. Um, but I, well, no, I'm not putting money on them, but I'm just saying you'd be crazy <laughs> to, to say they couldn't. Because you're saying they're, they're, going to, they're going to be the 12th best side next year. No, I didn't so, say that. I said they're going to be the seventh to eighth best side probably. Okay, well, even still, yeah. I think, I would be shocked if, if they don't have a horror run with injuries next year, if they have a just a normal run, I'd be shocked if they weren't a top four side next right. year. Okay, so you're you're hoping that um, variables you can't control work in their favour. I'm talking about what they can control. But no one can control it. Exactly. Well, yeah. Uh, look, good chat. Uh, Richmond fans, if you have any thoughts, you can either tell Jake or myself to go and get uh, on Twitter if you want. Um not that Jake checks his Twitter that often. Yeah, for that reason. <laughs> Dust fight hype or hyperbole, the segment where we, uh, I'll say some statements that you guys, you tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Uh, this man, we've spoken about him a couple of weeks in a row now. Took Miller could join Corey McKernan and Chris Grant on an infamous list, Jake. Um, that's very justified. Um, and the list, for those that may not know, of Brownlow medal or guys that have topped the Brownlow medal count but have been ineligible to win due to a suspension earlier in the season. Miller was suspended this year. Um, and right now, tell you what, a lot of the predictors, including mine, have him in the top three or four uh, vote pollers, which is incredible considering he has missed that game and um, has played for Gold Coast, who haven't won many games this year. So as we've said... a few ones in, in losses as well? few ones, but a lot of times he's been... He's pretty much been the, the best player for Gold Coast in every one of their wins. Um, he's pretty much been their best player in every one of their losses as well. So, no, he's been phenomenally good. He's an All-Australian lock. And, yeah, I, I think he's going to feature quite prominently on Brownlow night. And I hope, I never say I hope a player doesn't win a Brownlow, but I really hope he doesn't finish top because it'd be such a shame um, if he was to finish top. But particularly... I could live with it if it was Dusty or Danger or Fife or one of these guys that we all know is good. But someone like Miller, it'd be really disappointing if he what was a story to the Gold top. Coast. It would be, yeah, it, the it would be, it would be fantastic for him to get that recognition yeah. that he really does deserve. Uh, Christian, you're sometimes privy to all Australian discussions. The all Australian bookends could be Jacob Weedering and Harry Mackay, who both play for Carlton, despite Carlton probably not being anywhere near good enough to play finals this year. Um, I will say I'm not privy to all Australian discussion anymore, so I can speak freely about this <laughs> now. Um, yeah, it's justified hype. I'm still throwing up Harris Andrews as my fullback. Uh, Harry Mackay's probably got full forward. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be a disgrace if Weedering got in there as well. So, yeah, quite interesting that, yeah, to, that's uh, where the club's at and the review and things like that. They're probably two very important positions in the all-Australian team, the key defensive post, key forward post, and Carlton seemed to have, um, yeah, got got talent in both areas it's funny you throw sam walsh in there as well and carlton's probably the only team i can think of off the top of my head that has a forward a midfielder and a defender in the all australian team where's the rest of the talent boys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking uh, about bottom five carlton's bottom bloody 19 <laughs> jake i'll throw this one to you because i don't know what you're doing with your hair today uh nat fife has the worst haircut in the afl uh it's not great but no it's not the worst um yeah, mine's not looking too good now. I'm glad this is a podcast. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm in any position to be criticizing anyone's haircut. But if I'm going to give one player a whack, and I do love the way he plays, but Sam Draper, man, you got to you got to just I, when I watch him, I just want to get the scissors out and give it a little snip. Um, yeah, 
not the greatest. Is it? Not the greatest look. There's some there's some pretty good nominations around. Alec Waterman's another one. Jake yeah, Jake Waterman. Um, my apologies. Jake Waterman's another one. Um, Bailey, Bailey Fritch. Smith. Bailey, Bailey Smith. Smith. Got the, got Depends the, if you love a mullet or not, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's not a great look. Um, yeah, there's a few out there. What about um, what about Bailey Fritch? He's got the Matt Walsh do going. <laughs> yeah, it's on steroids compared to what mine looks like though. He, his is, looks like he's a mega mind. He must put uh, like a whole can of of, of product. <laughs> it never moves. Whatever they, yeah, he's running and it's just like <laughs> Trent Cochin as well. It just yeah. it doesn't move. <laughs> yeah, Dusty. I mean, we're overlooking the obvious, but Dusty. Dusty's isn't great. Yeah. Jack Sinclair, um, another mullet. Aaron Hall. I was actually thinking. I was watching last night and I was noticed Aaron Hall's <laughs> little. Um, I don't know what you call the corn cornrows. Cornrows. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's not the greatest look, but if uh, if he wants to rock it, he yeah. absolutely can. The other one is Alex Pierce. That yeah. would have to weigh two and a half kilos on top of his head. Yeah, well, that's what it, I thought about Bailey. Yeah, Bailey Smith. Same thing. It's just where's the aerodynamic? Aerodynamic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when does it get too long? Where it's actually yeah impacting your performance. All right, uh, let's whip through these last few pretty quickly. Uh, the game's too long, as Chris Scott and now Heath Shaw have said. Christian, you're a stats guy. You wouldn't want to see the game shortened because all the stats are relative to twenty minute quarters. Oh, I mean, yeah, we've got to have that caveat. Oh, in twenty-minute quarters, yeah, it was this. <laughs> yeah well, exactly. You don't want to change it too much, but again, I just think it's the way time on is used, and there's a few, you know, instances where I think, yeah, time's on. It's just it's it's just blown too quickly, or it stays on for too long. I think we can change rules without actually changing the length of the quarters. But yeah, 123 minutes and 21 seconds games are going for this year. It is the highest. I sort of just read my eyes because I, th- I thought it'd gone up every year. 2010. We were up to 122 minutes 59. Uh, 2018, we've got it back to 121 and a half. We're up to 123 point, uh, 123 minutes and 20 seconds, as I said. So there's only, you know, two or three minute variance across, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. Mm. Um, so so it's not a new know, issue. This is the thing. If Chris Scott has a problem with it now, he should have had a problem with it 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't Chris think it's Scott- a new issue. I just think it's the way the world is. It's, yeah, it's, it's broadcast more. They're, they're probably busier. They're trying to... They're trying to turn, you know, even we know the, the delivering the stats post-match, you know, they want it straight away before they get out of the coach's box or it's packaged with their vision. Everything everything just seems to be much more of a rush probably. Um, so again, yeah, just probably, I'm not sure, yeah, watching the game, it's, it's as I said, it, everyone complains at the start of the year that's getting longer and longer, but we haven't seen too much change in the last 15 years. It's, it's, it's always been long. So it's just new. something that Chris Scott is, he's, pulled out the wheel of fortune and what he's going to whinge about this week is uh, the game's too long. So come on, Chris, focus on the footy. Uh, Christian, Gold Coast should trade Isaac Rankin. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of that on the weekend. I mean, we spoke, uh, we've spoken previously in the past and lots of times about Gold Coast have to hold on to their talent. Their, their big thing is holding on to talent, holding on to talent. Sometimes I think, yeah, you've, you've got to just pick and choose. If you And again, I'm just sort of um, assuming this, but that, they, they might struggle to keep all of their talent and pay them all, you know, exactly what they want when Matt Rowe gets onto his new contract. I know they've re-signed Ben King. Uh, we just talk, spoke about Took Miller, where he's going with his um, contract. Lacocious, I really like Charlie Ballard, Will Powell, cross halfback. Isaac Rankin, to me, is the one that's still got – he still he, he's still got that superstar potential in him. And yeah. I know as Gold Coast, you don't want to let that go. But at the moment, he's just playing forward pocket for yeah. Gold Coast. So he's just a complimentary player for them. They're not dominating. He's not getting any midfield time. So I, I think, yeah, I think they could really look at trading him and trying to get a, a lot of value in because clubs will still pay 
I assume clubs will still pay a lot to get a, a talent like Isaac Rankin in. Um, it might just be something for Gold Coast to look at. Save save seven or eight guns on your list by sacrificing one um, and bringing in draft picks. So just something, yeah, I might be exploring if I was there, yeah, if I was working with Gold Coast. Interesting. Mm. Jake, keep this one brief because we've got to go. The story from Monday Night Football is North Melbourne and not West Coast. Nah, nah the story is West Coast. Um, yeah. We talked about them last week. North have been getting better. We, we've, I think probably the last... Last month or so, North has been pretty serviceable. Yeah. Um, but West Coast, dreadful. Really disappointing. Um, should have won that game pretty comfortably. When I saw it was raining, I, ha- I was starting to worry. I thought mm. West Coast in the wet. They didn't change their tactics team. at all. Like No. And yeah. just didn't, didn't want to win the game. Same as the Giants. They did not want to win that game. The only player that wanted to win that game that was throwing his body around that wanted to win was Jacob Hopper. Nobody else had any urgency to win like their season was on the line. Phil Davis didn't even have a shot with that Phil, last kick. Don't yes. even on Toby Green missed it in there. Didn't even score. Uh, oh, I mean, at least, he was, at least he was trying to, but yeah, Phil yeah. Davis wasn't trying. Like, Rewind the podcast three weeks ago to hear what I was saying about Phil Davis. I'm t- I don't. <laughs> Put a, stick a fork in him. <laughs> All right, footy tips, uh, get your tips in because you're probably going to need to if you tipped as badly as I did on the weekend. Only one home team won this week. It was the Bombers. Right. Yeah. So if you actually, if you forgot your tips and you're getting all of your weights, you've probably actually done okay. You got eight out of nine. Uh, so get your tips in, uh, home stretch. So you can still win your comp. If you're in with a chance, make sure you don't forget. Thanks, guys. Uh, and to everyone at home, on the trains, in your cars, wherever you're listening, we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.